So this week I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. I'm really excited you're here. You're listening to episode number 12. So this month marks the one-year anniversary of when the pandemic was officially declared and when lockdown and work from home began for so many of us. I've been thinking a lot about this anniversary and reflecting back on where we all were at this time last year and thinking about all of the conversations with nonprofit leaders, often frantic, that I was participating in and holding space for in those early days. There were so many conversations about what was coming, how to shift to working and leading remotely, what was going to happen with funding and programming and staff And underlying much of what I was hearing and working on was this through line of sustainability. What would be required for organizations to actually be able to sustain themselves in the days and weeks and months ahead? Interestingly, around the same time, one year ago this month, in fact, but a few weeks before the official start of the pandemic, I had the pleasure of talking with Vu Lei about his uh, blog, nonprofit AF and about this very topic of sustainability for an online summit that I was developing at the time. 
Lou has done a lot of thinking and writing about this topic of sustainability and in particular what he calls the myth of sustainability. And he and I got to have a great conversation about the ways in which even the framework of sustainability may be doing nonprofits and leaders a disservice. So I thought I'd reshare that conversation now during this anniversary month, both as a way of denoting how timeless this topic of sustainability is. He was writing and thinking about it and we were talking about it before we had a pandemic to contend with. And also because now a year into this crazy and for so many of us redefining moment, we may hear what he shares and what he and I talk about with fresh ears. So here you are, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Fundraising Growth Strategy Summit. I am so excited to be interviewing you, Vu. This is Vu Lay, writer, speaker, former ED of RVC on the West Coast, and author of Nonprofit AF, which I'm sure everyone watching this video interview has read and loves as much as I do. Welcome, Vu. Thank you, Brooke, for having me. Um, we were talking you know, before the video started about one of the things that I love many, many things I love about your writing, and it's that you tackle real issues in our sector that um, as EDs, as leaders, as people who care about the communities that we work in, um, they're real issues that we face, and you do it with a mix of earnestness and laughter, and I think that's a way in to important conversations. So I'm really excited um, to have one of those conversations today. Yeah, thank you. And I, I comb my hair for this and everything. Yes, and yeah. it- Fantastic. Um, Awesome. Okay. So let's dive in. What I wanted to talk about today in particular is your writing and speaking about the sustainability myth. And it's something that I personally have read a number of your blogs about um, and its impact on organizations and on the sector more broadly. So can you start with what is the sustainability myth? Absolutely. The sustainability myth is this belief that if we nonprofits just work hard enough, money will just fly down from the heavens and we don't have to apply for a grant ever again. And it manifests in this question, what are you going to do when this grant we give you runs out? How are you going to sustain your program? And all of us have been trained to BS this, right? So we have been trained to say things like, oh, we are going to increase our board and staff's capacity to reach out to individual donors. We will establish relationships with local businesses and we will sell the macaroni artwork that the kids are at the school program. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Earn income, right? Except, and all of that is a euphemism for we will leave you alone and bother other people Yeah. for one year until That's you it. forgot that we applied to you and then we'll reapply. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, it's, I think it's just a deeply insulting question that we have just been putting up with because there's a philosophy behind that, which is that you are a parasite. You yeah. are a freeloader. You are relying on us to do your work. And we need you like uh, you are like, I think we're being treated like, I don't know, like, like, a, like a millennial who just moved back into their parents' basement. And yeah. the parents are like, when are you going to like get out and be a real adult? Yeah. You know? And it is a terrible philosophy that is preventing us from doing our work. Yeah. And we just need to stop putting up with it. What do you think is the impact on actual people running these organizations of this myth? I would imagine that it sort of breeds a sense of, guilt and sort of there's something I'm not doing right. Why is this so hard for me if everybody else is so sustainable? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a delusion. It's an illusion and a delusion. There's no such thing as nonprofit sustainability. And we are responding, we are filling up the gaps 
caused by government and by the, the market. Yeah. And so we are doing things that in many ways should be handled by the government. But instead, we are treated as if we are part of the free market system, mm-hmm. that we are like any other for-profit businesses, any like for-profit businesses who are forced to compete with one another, have competitive advantages. That's not how it's going to work. We have to stop treating nonprofits as if we are responsible for our own revenues, when yeah. our revenues should be coming from taxes and things, and, be, and the stuff that we're doing should be taken care of by the government in yeah. many ways, in many situations. Yeah. So by buying into this belief, it, it forces us to have this unrealistic expectation of where our money is coming from. And then none of us can ever be self-sustaining financially, ever. None of us. And so unless, I mean, there's probably like a few, there's like a dozen nonprofits that, you know, I think uh, Goodwill is an example of a nonprofit that has been able to generate a lot of amazing earned revenues and they do yes. incredible work, right? But not all of us are going to be, and even Goodwill still relies on like individual donors, and they still rely on grants on occasion, even though they have a huge uh, percentage in earned revenues. Yeah. Most of us are never going to reach that. Yeah. And, it, and, and the, the belief that we should all be like earning income and having the majority of our revenues come from earned income is unrealistic and leads to burnout and shame. Yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. I think at the root of what you're saying is this idea that the understanding of the sort of partnership between funders government and nonprofits is missing, that there's almost like an adversarial, right? You said leeches or parasites, like <laughs> you have the resources and you come and take our resources without realizing that it's really symbiotic. It should be. Yeah. We, it's, right now it's very patriarchal. It's like, well, you need to be on your own. Whereas no, we need to be actually be partners. Our work, our nonprofits work should be to deliver services. Foundations and donors should be funding those services. If they want to deliver services, then go ahead and deliver them. That's right. You know, but if, if you don't deliver services and you your job is to get money for, for organizations to do all work, then do that. Yeah. But don't like give it and then actually like look down on us. Make us feel bad about it. Make, make us feel bad about it. And it's, yeah, so I, I don't know. And we, and we keep accepting it. Instead of pushing back, we keep responding to these BS questions like the sustainability question. So that's a question that I had for you. So I'm, you know, say the leader of a small nonprofit. I'm new to all of this. How do I push back? I mean, this is the proposal that I have been asked to send. What are some of the things that nonprofit leaders can do differently to sort of reshape the conversation? Yeah, well, I think one is just really getting this sort of internal understanding of how ridiculous the situation is. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you won't be able to push back with conviction when, right. you, when you face it, right? And you won't be able to be strategic. So I do think that one, well, a simple thing you can do is you can just go on to Nonprofit AF and look at standardized answers to the sustainability question and just copy and paste the thing. Yes. Because it is a inane question and there's no point putting your time and energy into it. And I literally have, you just literally copy and paste. And people have been doing this. Yeah. And I get, I get hilarious emails from EDs like, I, te- I copy and pasted your medium length answer and I got 25,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's almost like they don't so, even read the answers. <laughs> right, no, it's all the same thing. We're, I've all been trained to say the exact same thing. It's completely meaningless by now. Um, and the other thing is just, you just have to go and give feedback to the foundation and saying, you know, this is actually doesn't make any sense. You, we're, you're forcing us to pay, play funding uh, hot potatoes because we're just constantly going from one funder to another year yeah. after year trying to find funding instead of actually having the stability to be effective and to plan for the future and so on. 
I, I do think there is some good news in that I've been seeing this question asked less and less. Mm-hmm. So maybe the less we talk about it, the, the better it is. Yeah. And do you think there are funders that are open to having that conversation? I think another thing that um, particularly new leaders can be afraid of in pushing back is starting a conversation that hasn't been explicitly invited by a funder. Is that, is that doable in, in reality? Yes, I do think it is. I, I do think that a lot of funders are very open to getting feedback. There's actually program officers who really need the feedback so that they can actually bring it to their own team. Mm-hmm. We don't actually provide them with evidence about this and they can't. So I think we need to get out of this adversarial sort of philosophy or relationship with program officers and actually seeing them as allies because they also have to face internal dynamics and power dynamics within their own organization when many of the things that they want to change are being pushed against by more trustees at their foundation, for example, right? So the only way we can actually get around that is by working together and going to a program officer and saying, hey, this is something, it's a challenge that we're experiencing. Is there any way you can, we can talk about removing this question? Yeah. Or can you give general operating funds or you give more than one year at a time or whatever it is? Right? And I think that a lot of program officers, if we do it respectfully and not have ad hominem attacks on them or whatever, or question their motivations, most are willing to listen. Even if they might not be able to do something about that, they'll consider yeah. it. Um, but I understand there are power dynamics. Even I get terrified sometimes when I write a blog post and yeah. I wake up in cold sweat. I'm like, oh my God, I'm to defund my organization. That has never actually happened. They've never, even when they disagree, I've never had a foundation. And if they do, because you're giving thoughtful feedback and they actually withdraw their funding, is that really someone you want to work with? Right. right? Do you really want that funding or can you like focus your energy on someone who actually wants to be a, a real part? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you mentioned a few things. One, it's fantastic to hear that you also get afraid. I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, that EDs, particularly those of, you know, small and sort of new EDs, um, small organizations and new EDs don't realize that even experienced EDs also have to grapple with the power dynamics, with forging new relationships with funders um, and with pushing the envelope. So that's great to hear. Um, I also think, you know, the theme of partnership just keeps coming up in your, in your answers, that it's both sort of a partnership with the foundation, the institution, but more importantly, with a person at that foundation um, that you can have a human-to-human conversation with. Yeah. That is perhaps less scary than thinking of the foundation as this huge institutional monolith. Exactly. I, I think we need to give the benefit of the doubt to our program officer allies. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's great. So my last question is actually, how do we translate this myth or sort of fighting back against this myth into practice. So you, you gave a couple of suggestions about what leaders can do, but just in terms of mindset, I'm interested in any advice that you have for how organizational leaders should actually think about sustainability. What does, what does it mean to have a sustainable organization? Because the word itself isn't evil. It's just sort of how it's being operationalized. Well, it's confusing. I mean, yeah. it, Sustainability in itself is not a bad thing, but it depends on what we, how we define it, right? So there's environmental sustainability. We should all try to be environmentally sustainable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there is the sustainability of your operations to ensure that the, the programs and services continue on when, when they're needed, or as long as they're needed. 
Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I have been fighting against, and for what most foundations understand, is sustainability as this sort of like you are self-funding your own operations and you're not a leech and a parasite right. on foundations. Yeah. That is what we have to get rid of, right? Because what we need to focus on are the other two definitions of sustainability. And particularly the one about how do you ensure that your, your program is strong, that your organization is strong. And for that, I would say, okay, there's a whole bunch of other things that we have to talk about. The scarcity mindset. That all of us are, because of this sort of sustainability and overhead and a lack of funding, we've been put into this martyrdom complex. And the scarcity mindset, where we're not investing in our staff. We're not investing in our staff. We don't provide enough paid leave. We don't provide enough professional development. Yeah. And, so, and we don't pay people. And, you know, and then people leave. That is what's going to jeopardize sustainability of our operations. So we have to be able to go and, and, and invest in our teams, invest in our infrastructure, not be apologetic about it. This whole thing about the overhead thing is like, has been so destructive. People yes. are like, well, you know, we got to keep overhead low. What does overhead mean? Overhead is people. Overhead is operations. Overhead is what is keeping us uh, being able to provide quality services. Yeah. So if we cut down on these things, then our services suffer and the people that we serve suffer. So we have to think about sustainability is investing in our operations and our people to the point where they are strong and they provide the best services. And that means actually spending more money on yeah. operations and being ambitious in our, in our budgets. Yeah. And, I, and especially if you are like an organization that is small and led by marginalized communities, communities of color, dis- communities with disabilities, et cetera, then you have been trained to be very happy with tiny amounts of money. Yeah. And, and foundations give you tiny, burdensome grant proposals for yeah. these tiny amounts of money. That's right. And we have to get out of that. So we have to be way more ambitious. So whatever you're asking for, think about adding a zero to that ask. <laughs> it's like, Love it. So, yeah, it's like asking for $5,000, ask for $50,000. Yeah. I know that sounds like a very privileged thing, but for many of these larger mainstream organizations, that's what they do. They don't even mess with a $5,000 yeah, grant, right. $10,000 grant anymore. That's right. So we, marginalized communities, have to start thinking on that scale as well. And stop being apologetic and stop being so grateful for, for these crumbs that we have been getting. I love it. That is fantastic advice. So thank you so much for this conversation. If people want to read your blog, where should they go? They go to nonprofitaf.com. Nonprofit AF stands for Nonprofit and Fearless. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you again, This was fantastic. Thank you, Brooke, for having me. Thank you for joining me this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out the Nonprofit Mastermind podcast and subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and please share with your friends. Also, before you go, if you are doing your own thinking about or work on making your own practice of leadership more sustainable in some concrete ways, I would like to share my new free sustainable leadership e-course where I walk you through how to lead from a state of abundance and stability as opposed to scarcity and overwhelm. Each week for four weeks, I'll send you a brief e-lesson and activity and curated readings to support you in creating a deeper or sustainable practice of leadership on a generative, strategic, and tactical level. To sign up, simply go to richiebabbage.com backslash sustainability. That's all for now. Have a great week and I will see you back here next week for more Mastermind.